0: And welcome to series seven, episode two of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that whatever you're doing, you're having a lovely day today. First off, thank you so much for all of you that got in touch with me after the skin episode. It seems that lots of you like me, were having a bit of a fangirl moment. Uh, I love that chat. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, and loads of you go in touch to say how much you've been listening to Skunk and Nancy. Quite right. Quite right. Uh, so I'm so pleased that so many of you enjoyed it. And I had so many lovely messages post-show, so I really appreciate that. Post-show, this is a podcast. Who knows when the show goes out? Anyway, also I just want to say my tour started this week. I did Edinburgh and Glasgow, and I was really touched by the amount of people that waited to chat to me about Like-Minded Friends and about this podcast, and I'm touched by the lovely things that you said about the show, and yeah, it really means the world to me. So thank you so, so much. The tour is pretty much all sold out now. I think there's a handful of tickets left in Leicester, Loughborough, Hereford. And we've just added another week at the Soho Theatre because the first week is sold out, which is amazing. It's very, very exciting for me. Those of you that have been listening to this for a long time or indeed have been listening to like-minded friends or have been following my stand-up for a while know uh, how exciting it is for me to be on the road and for it to be selling out and this show just means so much to me talking about being a mum talking about uh, my life and I think I think it might be the funniest show I've ever written as well so I'm enormously proud of it so if you're coming along thank you very very much for that. Right back to this I love doing this program as you well know and as ever I would like to share some emails before I get to the fantastic conversation I've got to share with you today with the marvellous Owain Wynne Evans. Okay here we go. Hi Suze. Love that. Hi Suze. I'm absolutely in love with your podcast. I've not listened since day one, but I've definitely enjoyed catching up over the last few months. I'm Chris from Cornwall. My partner Joe and I saw you in St. Austell, and you were amazingly funny and we can't wait to see you again soon. I came out pretty late in life. After 13 years of being in a relationship with my childhood best friend, we got married, bought a house and had our son. We were together for a further four years. Until our son turned one, when I found myself thinking, there is no way I can help him grow into whoever he wants to be if I'm not 100% sure of who I am. So I left my home and my family. It felt like ripping my own heart out of my chest in the hope that I could, over time, stitch it back together. I've now been with my boyfriend for five years. We got engaged over lockdown via a Zoom quiz. It was Joe's last question to his whole family. I was very drunk and swore a lot. I'm still best friends with my ex-wife and Joe and my son have the best relationship. Joe and I have also just purchased our house and can finally have my son to stay the night. Life is good and I love being part of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm the head of year at a secondary school and I have one student who constantly gets asked if he is gay. It hurts him and I can see him probably coming out in the future, but for now I just have to be his shoulder to cry on and ear to listen. Your podcast has helped me so much. I'm debating suggesting it to him. What do you think? Thank you for being you and doing all the great gay things. Icon and legend, love Chris. Please feel free to use my name if you wish. First of all, Chris, I'm so pleased that you have found such happiness and what an incredible partner and an incredible ex-wife you have to still be such great friends with her and how incredible that you're navigating parenthood together how bloody wonderful congratulations to you and joe on getting uh, engaged i don't know do you think uh, th- suggesting a podcast i think that's probably okay maybe it will help him maybe it will be something that he never ever listens to uh if it comes up do it naturally <laughs> that's what i'd say but thank you so much and thank you for coming to the st Austell gig as well um st Austell, st Austell. uh thank you very much and thank you for your gorgeous email and next time you come to a show, stick around and say hi. Okay, let's have another one. Hello, Susie. I thought about writing to you since I heard the first episode, but it took me to the skin episode to decide to do it. I have to admit to stopping the episode during the introductions to listen to a couple of Skunk and Ancy songs. Not because I didn't know their music, but because I loved them so much. I saw them in Glastonbury in 99 when I was 18 and they were epic. Skunk and Ansi were the songs of my hormonal breakups. Listening to them, then to Skin, and thinking about my teenage self, led me to write to you with my coming out story. I'm a bisexual woman and I fancy girls as well as boys from a young age, although it took me longer to realise it about the girls. When I was in sixth form, a friendship with a girl turned into a burgeoning relationship, however her mum was clearly suspicious of her daughter's sexuality and caught us holding hands in their house on one occasion. The next thing I knew, she'd been to our school and I'm having to talk to the deputy head about this. I was given the choice, tell my parents or the school would. Unacceptable. They likened to knowing about my girlfriend to knowing I was using drugs and they had a duty to tell my parents. Now, I was not happy about this. I was furious and I made sure they knew that. I hadn't told my parents yet because it was none of their business, but I wasn't particularly worried about telling them. I was, however, horrified that someone else was going to do that. And they would perhaps do it to someone else and that could risk their family. I was also in a vulnerable position at school as my future was in the school's hands to a certain extent. I did tell my parents and my mum later told me that she'd always thought I was bi. I do believe that this whole thing has had a lasting impact on my relationship with my sexuality. Of course, it was Section 28 and the Tories who were overall responsible for all of this as this is why I was put in this position." I'm so glad that things are different for young people today. I found myself through my job running a stool at a school's pride event a couple of years ago and it made me so happy to know kids were getting a different experience to what I had. Please feel free to read out this email and to include my name. Love you and this important podcast and that's from Rachel. Rachel, first of all, I'm so fucking angry at your school. Oh my God. Outrageous. Unbelievable. But yeah, I grew up under Section 28 as well and we've got to do everything at the moment our community to make sure that they don't bring in anything else like that again but thank goodness your mum and dad were okay and that and they hadn't done it to a kid whose family would have disowned them and and let's be honest that probably happened in other schools or even in your school at some point or another and those things really last don't they geez I'm 37 and I yeah you really carry that stuff around that shame that people hand to you you really do Actually reading Tom Allen's book about shame, his first book, really helped with that for me. I highly recommend it, um, although I'm sure that lots of listeners to this podcast have already listened to Tom's book, but I can't recommend it enough. I'm so pleased that stalls like that exist in, in schools now, in, in different pride events, and that there's so much outreach, not in every school, obviously, but there is a lot of help uh, these days and there's a lot more visibility of all of us, but thank you so much for getting in touch, and thank you for, um, yeah, for sharing your gorgeous email. Okay, let's get on with today's conversation. I absolutely love Owain. I loved this chat. He's just wonderful. I hope that you enjoy it half as much as me because you'll have a bloody lovely hour listening to us chat. Enjoy. Here I am chatting to Owain. Oh, listener, I'm very excited to share today's conversation with you. we to have today's conversation because this is someone who I've been trying to pin down for about. Between six and eight months, we kept messaging on Instagram, trying to get a date in. They kept having to be moved, but hooray, we have got that. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you. Owen Wynne Evans is an award-winning Welsh broadcaster and drummer. Now you will know him from hosting on Radio 2 on The One Show. You may have seen him presenting the weather for BBC Breakfast and many others. And you might have seen him and you might have seen the lockdown clip that went viral of him drubbing along to the BBC News theme music. He has also appeared on Michael McIntyre's The World, Celebrity Mastermind, Freeze the Fear, BBC One's The Big Night, BBC One's The Big New Year in and Wales, and Wales Home of the Year for BBC Wales. And he's about to start his own, his very own Radio 2 show, at The Early Morning Slot. Such a busy man. So delighted he's made time for me. In 2021, he made history drumming for 24 hours for children in need, raising over £3 million for charity, a record-breaking amount for any 24-hour challenge in the charity's history. Incredible stuff. He is genuine, joyful, honest and fabulous. Whenever I watch him on anything, I can't help but fall in love. I'm so delighted he's joining me today.
1: Hello. Wine. Oh, Susie, darling, can I say that was, that was the most gorgeous intro. Thank you. Well, you're welcome to use it for your new radio show every single morning. Babe, I'm putting it on the CV. I love it. Thank you. And also, may I apologise? I know it's been very difficult for us to, no, i Don't dying apologise? do this. It was,
0: it was both of us. This is life, isn't oh. it? This is life of people trying to get things and do things. Exactly. It's just hard.
1: You know, as Bewitched famously said, "Say la vie." Oh,
0: and I, ju- I was just hoping today that someone would reference Bewitched, and mm. here we are. Early doors, it's done. It's done. What
1: a relief! It- <laughs> we got it out of the way. We knew it was going to happen at some stage, and that was, you know, seamless. I would say.
0: I would say so. Now we just were <laughs> talking before we before we pressed record um, mm. about uh, the fact that you've just moved back to Cardiff to yes. start this new early morning slot, 4 a.m. starts. Mm. How we you cope with that?
1: Do you know, it's a weird one, right? When you think of like a 4 a.m. start, you mm-hmm. think, oh my gosh, what on earth are you doing, you mad person? But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, having done, worked in weather really for such a long time, I'm quite used to kind of getting up and then having to get dressed up and like do the hair and put a bit of, bit of makeup on, darling, bit sure, of mascara on the old lash. of course. And doing that at like three in the morning. So for me, getting up at that time actually doesn't feel that weird. And also I kind of, I kind of know how for many people, that's just a normal time of day. Mm. You know, it's like when I'm driving to work, you know, you see lorries on the road. When I'm listening to the radio, you know, you you hear people talking about their day. So I'm just so thrilled to be doing this slot because I think it's a really special time of the day. And you know so many people either start their day at that stage yeah they start with media, you or they're like halfway through their day even if they're working shifts or whatever or some people percent yeah just can't sleep and they yes. we'll be tuning in because of that so And
0: you'll be their company Yeah you'll be their company which is lovely
1: Yeah it's really special you know I love radio and I've I've always kind of loved the 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 medium I suppose and and how it's quite personal mm-hmm. and also for me to be able to just be able to be me and, you know, do that unapologetically is always something that's been quite important to me. So doing this on Radio 2 is just, oh, it's just lush. Honestly, I can't wait.
0: Yeah, it's big. It's really big. Cause like for for people that are, that we have lots of listeners outside the UK, Radio 2 is like the biggest station in our country, I think. And I think for me, I listened to Radio 1 until I was about 25 and then was like, (laughs) I mean, these people are so young. (laughs) I've been. I was a Radio Two convert. I think in my in my more than ten years ago, and uh, it's it's a really big deal to get a show mm-hmm. on Radio Two. So congratulations!
1: Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Yeah, it's just so thrilling, you know, to be able mm. to do the show and to be given this opportunity. And obviously, I love music, being a musician, mm-hmm. and then yes, of course, to get the chance to to present my own show is just. It's fabulous. And here from Cardiff, which is even, you know, that's like an extra bonus, really.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. You know, you've now moved back to Cardiff because you're doing it from there. I mean, first mm. question, you always look yeah. amazing. You always look beautiful.
1: Oh, stop.
0: Will you be going into BBC Cardiff in Tracky bees, or are you going to be, mm. do you have a dress down policy?
1: I don't really have a dress down policy. Uh, my okay. kind of the modus operandi is quite smart. You know, <laughs> sure. I'm I'm here chatting to you now, and as you can see, I've thrown a pussy bow around the I've, neck. I
0: appreciate. It. I've got a hoodie on. I've got a hoodie on. It says love on it. It does. It was sent to me by uh, by Gok. It's his isolation nation. Oh, I love it. I'm also going to go for a skate down the beach later, so I thought I'd put on something. A skate? What, like roller skates? Yeah, like roller skating.
1: Oh, oh my gosh, are we talking sort of Starlight Express vibes here?
0: Well, I mean, in many ways when you're talking to me, you're always talking about Starlight Express. Absolutely. It's a great show. I'll be doing the the four quads rather than the blades. But but yes, I'll be going for
1: it. Oh, I see. Yeah, I prefer the kind of the four quads I think look more fancy. Thank you for saying that. You know, I always think a blade. It looks like it's harder, but to be honest, I think the blades are easier because you can just sort of tilt your legs in a bit, can't you? And then hope for the best. (laughs) And hope for the best. And just close your eyes and be like, I'm going in a straight line. I'm just channeling Rusty from Starlit Express. I'll be fine. There you
0: go. There you go. It's perfect. But We're not here to talk about me and my hoodie. You're you're going to be going in to BBC Radio Cardiff. Very smart.
1: I'll be dressing up. I do like to wear a three-piece suit. I certainly have a penchant for a suit. And more than that, a penchant for a little broochette. You know, a brooch on the lapel. I think that it smartens an outfit. Absolutely. And it makes people smile. And what I love about brooches as well is, and I've noticed this over the years, and oh, I love it so much. I get a lot of brooches sent to me by viewers Oh, that's so nice. Uh, and it's just some of them, honestly, I try to reply to as many of them or all of them with things that people send me because I've had some brooches from people who say things like, oh, I, you know, I don't have anywhere to wear my brooch anymore because I, I don't really go out anymore. Will you have my brooches that I've oh, loved my so whole lovely. life? And I try and wear these things on TV then. And I, I even had, I've had one or two actually from older people who have lost their partners. And it's their, these things are their brooches, you know, it's the kind of person who's passed away's brooch. And obviously the the other person doesn't kind of know what to do with them and maybe they won't wear them. So they've sent them to me. And so now I have this incredible selection of brooches that I I kind of feel like They've got a little bit of those people's personalities in them. So I love wearing those things. Oh,
0: that's so nice.
1: Any TV show I do, I I chuck a brooch on. Yeah, so there'll be definitely brooches when I go into BBC Wales. (laughs) Probably not a suit, babes, but definitely a nice little blousette or a little you know, a pussy bow. I love vintage clothes. I'm always yeah. looking for vintage blouses. So yeah.
0: Were you into dressing up as a, as a teenager? No, maybe let's go before teenagers. So you grew up in Carmarthen or just outside
1: yes. of Carmarthen? That's right. Yeah. Almondford. Yeah. Outside Carmarthen.
0: So for our international listeners, all for people from around the UK that maybe haven't been to that part of Wales, could you sort of give us a little snapshot of it?
1: absolutely to the international listener and <laughs> those who are also interested. Ammanford is a small ex-mining town. There are loads of towns like this all across Wales and all across the UK really. Mm-hmm. Towns that now, you know, don't have the kind of industries about them but when I was growing up I remember seeing, you know, coal lorries going down the road and this was in the kind of 80s and the 90s. So, small town weirdly I wasn't that into kind of being the kind of flamboyant version of myself that I am now because I had to put a lid on that. And I felt like there was this kind of effervescence, which was, you know, it was sort of pushing at every seam trying to get out. But because, uh, you know, Section 28 was still a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and we had all this horrid kind of, you know, I mean... Things still ain't great. But, Mm. you know, back then, I didn't have any reference points as a a young gay man growing up. You know, there weren't any kind of role models or there was no one to see. And I know that people have spoken to you about this before on the podcast, but it was weird because I knew that I kind of wanted to be a little bit more flamboyant than I was, but kind of felt like I perhaps wasn't able to. Mm. So I channeled that in many different ways. I was always interested in lighting design and theatre. You know, I actually asked my father to install... I say I'm not a flamboyant child, Susie, <laughs> but when when I was about six or seven, must have been about seven, actually, I asked my dad to install this wooden rail across the middle of my bedroom to hang floor-to-ceiling curtains on and essentially to make a theatre. So... <laughs> I had this theater in my bedroom and I'd love kind of buying different lights and making it look, you know, a bit more fancy. And sometimes I'd put shows on with my cousins. And But then on the other hand, I was also the kind of child who liked riding motorbikes around. And the drums, I guess, came about in that kind of way because I used the drums initially a lot anyway, not only because I loved them, but it was a bit of a heat deflector. Right. So yeah, so the flamboyant clothes definitely came later and I definitely made a conscious decision not that long ago actually, about five or six years ago, to be open and honest with myself and say, you know what? I wanna wear a blouse, I wanna mm-hmm. wear a flamboyant suit, and I wanna wear brooches as a man. And most of the most of the tops I wear now are, you know ladies, yes. kind of, you know what I mean? Although I yeah. don't think that, I think you can wear whatever you want, but most Absolutely, of these, yeah. you know, if I'm on vintage or whatever, I type in ladies blouse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like a kind of a condensed journey.
0: A condensed version of it. Yeah. So when I'm thinking of a mining town in sort of the 80s and the 90s in Wales, mm. I'm sort of thinking of the film Pride yeah but is that a good reference point for it sort of rolling hills but then also this big industrial thing in the middle of it and it being so totally. much of a town's identity as well as
1: where everyone works oh 100 i mm. would say that pride summed it up really well mm. and for those who haven't seen pride you oh, don't watch of pride, it watch it oh, watch it it's, it's just, just such a good film isn't it just maybe my favorite? Um, maybe my favorite yeah, yeah, it's definitely up there with mine as well. I mean, Death Becomes Her is also up there. Sure, so. but that's
0: less Welsh, less mining, less gay. Well, quite gay, bit in a different quite,
1: way. Quite gay, but <laughs> at the time, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, so yeah, totally. It's it's a different kind of uh, it's a different flavor, isn't it? But it was very much like that. So there were, oh gosh, in Armidford, you know, there would have been about three or four mines, coal mines.
0: Wow. So
1: yeah small town, mining was the thing. And I remember when I had my motorbike, you know, I remember my parents always saying, oh, don't go near the coal tip because these things were kind of being decommissioned, I guess. Right. At that stage. So, but there were still holes in the ground and still drifts and still pools of water.
0: I guess, when was that horrific mining disaster in Wales? That would have been...
1: Abavan. So the Abavan disaster, that was in the 60s, I think. Right. And actually, Abavan, Aaron, my husband's grandmother, is from Abavan, and she, her house was destroyed in the disaster. Um, So, you know, you had all of these little towns around Wales that had mines in Mm. close proximity to civilization, really, to where where people lived. Yeah. And, oh God, the Albuvan disaster is just, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Oh, totally. There was a landslide essentially and it sort of took took a school out and some homes and, oh, just heartbreaking, horrible stuff.
0: Yeah, so horrific. Awful. Mm. And I can imagine that for your mum and dad, them saying to you, don't go too near the pit or don't go too near this and that, that must have been something that they were aware of in their childhood. So it sort of leaves a, a fear in a whole generation, doesn't it, about, oh God, what could happen?
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%. And my family were, you know, both of my grandfathers were coal miners. Right. So they worked in the coal tips around Mm -hmm. the area. I guess at the time, they probably didn't even think about the dangers because they, you know, had to go into the pit, they had to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming from a very kind of working class area, you know, I, I remember when we grew up, we didn't have very much money. But, you know, for my grandparents, the thought of going into something every day and kind of not really knowing whether or not they would return I I just you know that's bonkers isn't it you can't put yourself in that position but there would have been thousands and thousands of people doing that every day in places like Almondford the other Almondfords around the UK
0: yeah and I think that's the thing Mm. isn't it we're so we're spoiled by like we have the opportunity even to have a choice these days about what we do but I suppose for men of your grandfather's generation in that era it would have been like well what else would you do
1: yeah 100% and and i think my my father's father you know i think he was working in the kind of mines when he was a teenager you know because the people were really young when they started doing yeah. this stuff so yeah th- there was definitely um a kind of hangover as far as the dangers were concerned then mm. i think as far as people like my parents were concerned you know exactly as you said you know not wanting me to go near the the coal tip and the mines because they're they're dangerous places and people you know, people still die in them because mm. they're still there underground and it's not yeah. fun to be around.
0: No, it's quite frightening. It mm. really is. Now you mentioned before about your drumming and I know that you started, yeah. did you start drumming when you were about eight?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: And I read in an, in an article that you'd said that drumming was sort of a way to deal with your anxiety. You said about being an anxious young man because of the portrayal of HIV in the media and because of so much sort of sadness around what it meant to be gay, the loneliness, the struggles, all those things that you you became quite anxious and then drumming became sort of your... I don't know, would you call it your therapy or your protection or your... Yeah,
1: I'd absolutely call it both of those things Mm. because it was so, you know, it was so strange going from the kind of flamboyant child of, you know, that was being hidden behind things to then have this. I remember seeing my first drum kit and... You know it's it's quite kind of the memory is quite kind of hazy i suppose but through the haze <laughs> i see a drum kit and sure. it, it was in my school that we were putting on some show in the primary school you know and it was the first time i'd like seen a drum kit in the same room as me and i was probably quite small at the time and i just remember this sort of gargantuan thing you know all crow woman it was mm. bright red and thinking that it just looked so cool and it was massive. They are and so cool. You were right. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, drum kits have always been cool. And so that's the that was the moment then that I thought, oh, I'd love to play that. But as time went on, I guess, and, you know, my parents saved up and they bought me this child's drum kit, like a cardboard drum kit to play. And I sort of Trash trashed the thing, you know, because obviously I'm so big and strong. Of course. And, and then my father was gaffer taping the thing together. And a year later, they bought me a secondhand, like proper full-size drum kit. My poor neighbours, you know, they had to deal with <laughs> so much. stuff. <laughs> you
0: sound great on it now, but I mean, learning must be. It's like <laughs> someone playing the trumpet or the violin. Like when you're good oh. at it, it sounds beautiful. But when you're learning, that
1: is... Oh, definitely. And there's <laughs> no way, really, or back then anyway, there was no way of making a drum kit much quieter. You know, yeah. it was even when it's a child, an eight year old child playing it, that thing's going to be loud. <laughs> so they were very patient, bless them. And the drums then became a thing that I would kind of use, and and perhaps it was subconsciously, you know, perhaps it was a thing that I would tell people about and they're like, oh my gosh, you're a drummer. I was the only drummer in the school. That's really cool. Mm. And then I went from being, I was always quite a quiet, anxious child. And my anxiety has been this constant companion, unfortunately, mm. throughout my life. But the drums definitely were a thing that I could kind of use to, to help a bit with that because It was an outlet. Mm. I'd put my headphones on, I'd sit behind them and I felt like I was part of something that was physically larger than me as a scrawny little ginger kid, you know? And that's been such a lovely thing. And I've spoken to loads of drummers who had the same experience when they were younger, I guess, as, as young drummers.
0: And did you, were you sort of good at it straight away? Did you have like a natural
1: flair? I think that I did always have rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I was growing up, you know, my parents always had music on. Mm-hmm. There was a turntable in the corner and there was like Wings, Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, Carpenters, yeah. you know, all of this stuff was oh, always playing. great
0: stuff. Yes, play. Great
1: music. So that was, I think, kind of, you know, I was probably tapping along to these things. Mm-hmm. and. When I got the drum kit then, I think that kind of made it easier. And I think because I always loved it and my parents never forced me to Mm. do my grades on the drums or, you know, be in an orchestra. They they kind of just, they knew I loved it. And I really appreciate that they just kind of left me to love it. Mm. Did you join an orchestra? Did you do things like that? Well, at the time my school you know there wasn't a lot of support you know mm. they wouldn't buy they wouldn't buy a drum kit in the school yeah and they wouldn't give they wouldn't get drum lessons you know if I was interested in rugby there yeah, would have of been course. A especially of in was bloody hell you well, would have been oh my god I would scholarship can you imagine a scholarship. imagine how my life would have turned out if I would have gone actually do you know what I'll play a bit of rugby um I'm glad it didn't turn up that way. (laughs) But yeah, there there wasn't a huge amount of support, Mm. really. So I ended up being in bands with my friends and, you know, we would. And actually, one of my closest friends, Chris, is a guy who I was in bands with throughout junior school and then through secondary school. So it was never something that I really did musically you know, mm. in a kind of more professional capacity, like wanting to get the grades up or whatnot. Mm. It was more for fun. And I yeah. love that because when something's fun and when you enjoy something like a hobby, I think everyone's got to have a hobby. Yes, I agree. Yeah, when the hobby turns into a job, it can sometimes siphon a little bit of that joy out of it, I guess.
0: That's exactly what happened with me in stand-up.
1: Really? Because, of course, it became,
0: it became really? my job. No
1: well, way. Because it because well, took the lot- joy out of it, though.
0: No, 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 it didn't take the joy, but it. it just sort of does change it slightly
1: because mm.
0: it's your it's it was my hobby, like you know, it was, it was my hobby that I wanted it to become my job, but obviously I had other jobs whilst you sort of work out how to be funny. But then of course, as soon as it becomes this is how you make your living, and then it puts the pressure on that, and then you need to get this job and you need to get that job and you need to progress. Oh, yeah. It sort of just takes, which is why, as I mentioned before, I've started doing things like roller skating, because I'm like, I need something that's not Amazing. linked to my job, It's yeah. not about me. Progressing in, in in that in that way, so I totally understand that, and it's nice having something that is. I, I'm an anxious person too, and having something that feels like it's
1: your own, mm. can feel really powerful, can't it? Hundred percent, and just I guess what the difference is when. You, by the way, the reason I laughed when you said that's what happened with you with stand-up is I thought you were joking. I thought
0: you would, I thought <laughs> you, you thought were going to say I was that saying it sucked the joy out of it. <laughs> exactly. No, no, which no. It I still love obviously. it. I still love it.
1: Good. Good. Well, and that's the thing, I guess, when it's a hobby that then turns into a job, you, you have a drive, don't you? Because mm-hmm. it's a thing you love and you're like, I'm going to do this and I know I can do it well, so I like it. I'll continue with it. But for me with a drumming, I was like, ah, you know, not, I really want it to be <laughs> like a job. I'll just play them, you know, lovely. But weirdly, when I then left school, um, I had, and I'm sure that a lot of your listeners who have, you know, wherever you're listening to this now, you know, whether you're LGBTQ or not, you know, school isn't a joyous time for everyone. And I, I hated school and hate's Mm -hmm. a strong word. I I don't really use the word hate much, but I I hated it. But when I left school, when I got to sort of sixth form, I was drumming loads and I was thinking, maybe this, maybe this can be a career. So the plan was to do two things, either study stage design and lighting. I'm Mm -hmm. particularly interested in robotic lights, which I collect now. Yeah. I collect vintage lights. What are robotic? What are robotic vintage lights um, when they're at home? So a robotic light is, so essentially, if you if you watch a pop concert, oh my god, listen to me, I sound like I'm about a hundred. A pop concert. <laughs> <laughs> go on, Nana. Go on. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, Nana. Let's get you to bed. Um, if, if you the watch ones that it, sort of go. Rrr. Yeah, that's it. You okay. you've probably had them in your shows. Like yeah, they yeah, kind yeah. of they look a bit like bins that kind of, you know, <laughs> oh, that move yeah. up and down and back and forth, you know? Electrical, yeah, I love it. Yeah, motorised bin. So those, and yes. um, was always interested in them. Uh-huh. I went to uni for like a month, hated sure. it, dropped out. Right. And then I wanted to get my grades up on the drums. Uh-huh. And that didn't happen because then I got a, a, another job in TV, weirdly. So the drums have then since become this hobby that I love and amazingly, it was a vehicle that I could, you know, raise a bit of money off, like amazing. 40 years later. Well, not 40 years, 30 years later.
0: That's awesome. And it's so, I think having a hobby or an instrument or just doing a thing outside of school, similarly to you, I hated school and the listeners would be like, yes, yeah, so we've heard it. You had a terrible time, blah, blah, blah. But it is going to stuff like dancing lessons and singing lessons and musical theatre that I used to adore, which I still do adore. Um, mm. It gave me something to do that wasn't school and an identity Yeah, that wasn't school. And I think when you don't like school and your identity is being someone that doesn't have many friends, it's so hard.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I know that feeling. You know, it, it sounded like it was very similar when I was growing up.
0: So with your anxiety... Are you happy to talk about that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely happy. So with
0: the anxiety, did you, like, I didn't have the language. Did you have the language for it?
1: Oh, no. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm. You know, there was nothing wrong with me as it turned out, but I thought there was. Yeah. And as you say, the language didn't exist, didn't it? Not at all. So you just were made to feel, I suppose, as well for you know, individuals like us, there was not only the fact that there's the anxiety thing, but there's also the fact that you kind of know that, you know, I knew I wasn't like the other kids Mm -hmm. in that I knew I was gay. And so was that the thing that made me anxious possibly? Mm -hmm. Or I think the anxiety was always there really, but no, I didn't know what it was. I just, I just thought that I worried, you Mm -hmm. know, about ludicrous things. Yeah, And I suppose in many ways that has continued, but <laughs> I have coping mechanisms. And mm. as you said, the language exists now.
0: Yeah. My, my nan would always say to me when I was little, you're not happy unless you've got something to worry about. Like I'd always be searching <laughs> for something, you know?
1: Always. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm even now I'm sometimes like that. And Aaron mm. will say, why, is, why have you got to worry about this? You know, mm. it's, it's fine. It's fine. But, there are loads of things you can do, aren't there, to kind of help yourself, I suppose, Absolutely, in a way. Yeah. But also, I think that you have to be kind to yourself sometimes and just kind of acknowledge, or I have anyway, that if I've got a particular, you know, thing coming up that I'm, I can't stop thinking about or because mm-hmm. I used to be socially anxious as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the same with you, um, but I. No, it was, oh, I was, I was. I just didn't know. I think I just didn't know what to do all the time. It <laughs> sounds yeah, so really. ridiculous.
0: Yeah, which is so strange because now I'm sort of confident enough to get up on stage, but it's all very controlled. So it's different. Yeah.
1: But please go on. It's so interesting though, isn't it? And a lot of people, and I'm sure people have told you this, Susie, would be surprised that a person like you is doing what you're doing when they are an anxious person. And the same for me, you know, people yeah. are like, well, you say you're anxious, but then you're doing this and you're presenting, yeah. Yeah. So these things aren't mutually exclusive, nor are they things, I suppose, that coexist perfectly together.
0: Yeah, but also I think anyone that's listening that is anxious as well, it's good to remind you that's listening, if you're anxious, that like, it also doesn't have to be a barrier. You can find ways to do whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah, babe, you can be anxious and you know, that'll be with you. But don't let that be the thing.
0: But you put it in a handbag, pop it over your shoulder and you learn how to deal with it.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You just have to, I did anyway. I'm like, okay, well, I have coping mechanisms now, I suppose. But at the same time, I know the anxiety. It's not going to go. You know, it Mm -hmm. won't be completely absent from my life, but it's there. So the more we talk about it, the more people I suppose will perhaps be able to get that this isn't a thing that affects a few people. There are, (laughs) the majority suffer from anxiety.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so were you first language Welsh growing up?
1: Yes, I was. Yeah. That was, so Welsh was the first language that my parents would speak to me in Welsh when I was growing up. And is that the the
0: language that you'd speak if you go home now to your mum and dad's?
1: Yeah, yeah. And does Aaron speak Welsh as well? Aaron understands Welsh. Right. So even though Aaron grew up in Merthyr which mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, if you look at Wales, it's the the east, sort of southeast of Wales, whereas Ammanford is southwest of Wales. Right. And for those who don't know what Wales is, if you look at the UK, Wales is a bit that's like, sort of juts out. Poking out a bit. A bit. Juts out, yeah, on the kind of the west. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't speak welsh but he does understand it but for me welsh was yeah the language that i grew up speaking and it's a it's a weirdo language susie it's very complicated because certain things mutate Mm -hmm. Words mutate in front of others. I know there are lots of languages with mutations. Would your school have been Welsh, speaking? My school was mixed language. Yeah. I had the opportunity to go 100% Welsh, pretty much. But I decided to learn things like science and maths in English, Mm -hmm. whereas other things like history and whatnot would be taught in Welsh. And it's so interesting because the Welsh language is kind of making a bit of a comeback well, making a huge comeback. Yeah, it really is. For the past 20 years, it's been, you know, people would always say, oh, why why are you bothering speaking Welsh and, you know, all of this stuff? And it was... Yeah, it was considered uh, sort of a dying language. Yeah, it was. But now, and I I think I'm even more sensitive to it being back in Wales. It's just so lovely being back here and so lovely hearing people speak Welsh on the street. Mm. And... The Welsh language is so important, you know, and, and I love that it is back and that it's going from strength to strength. And there are all sorts of new opportunities for people who speak Welsh in Wales now as well. And it's mm-hmm. so lovely to see a language that was once seen as a thing that was pointless or dying, mm. making uh, having made a comeback and now yeah. is really al- as, as important as it's always been. But now people are, are like getting that it's really yeah. important. And I love that.
0: Yeah. And people are thinking like, oh God, we can't let this die. We can't let this sort of leave with the generation and just have handfuls of people here and there that Mm. speak it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's just lovely. And it's a, it's a complicated old language, but it is a lovely language as Mm. well.
0: It sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah. It sounds beautiful when you listen to people. It is a nice language. Yeah. It sounds a bit like, people say it sounds a bit like German. You know, it's got lots of sort of uh, and uh, sounds in it.
0: It sounds more sing-songy than German.
1: Yeah, it is very sing-songy. Yeah, Mm. it is. And it's it's gorgeous. I love it. And I love that I'm able to speak it now to my friends and my family, especially now I'm back in Wales. Yeah, that's
0: lovely. That's lovely. And so, say you were going through the secondary school... Did you have like a group of mates that you hang out with? Did you have mates outside of school or what was that period like for you?
1: I was kind of like a little bit of a um, a helicopter as far as that was <laughs> concerned. I suppose I'd kind of, I did have a group of friends like my friend, Chris, who I mentioned to you earlier, yes. you know, Chris and I have been friends for years and, but other people I would just sort of flutter around, I suppose. And, and I think that it was, maybe down to the fact that I felt like I, I never really belonged mm. there because people were talking about things, heteronormative things, I suppose, that I didn't feel were in line with how I felt. Mm. And, I, and as soon as I realised then, because I think I did kind of get a, have a bit of a realisation, I don't know how old I was, but I must have had a realisation that I'm not gay I'm not straight. Let me do an edit there. I'm <laughs> definitely
0: I was going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> Surprise! I mean, I'm surprised, but I think I think Aaron's going to be. I think Aaron's I think you need more to call surprised. It.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, what I meant was is that I'm not straight. Yes. Um, so I think that that was a a weird time, and I think that made me then feel as if if I were to get too close to someone, like they, they might. Guess that I was gay or something. They might smell it. They might smell you're gay. Smell it exactly. They might smell a touch of lavender, (laughs) which we which we can't have happening. I thought to myself in the late eighties, early nineties. And so, what Uh, age would you have been then? Oh well, I suppose when I I probably realised kind of what it was Mm -hmm. when I was in maybe year six. So that's the last year of primary school. I guessed.
0: Yeah. About 10, 11?
1: Yeah, yeah, 10 or 11. I knew before then, but I probably didn't maybe realise what it was exactly.
0: It's language again, isn't it? You had two languages and still you didn't have the language
1: for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the language exists, nor did the positive role models anyway. No. Which is, uh, you know, you're the butt of the joke or, you know, you were somebody who'd purse a lip to the side camera. Mm, you yes. know which. Which I love doing now, by the way, but of course. it's. I think that was the time that I realised that yeah, this I'm not like the, I'm not like the other kids. Mm-hmm. I guess
0: you know the journey now to being someone that is so, sort of obviously there's been you know quite a few years since then, and same with me. But you know that journey to them being someone that's so, sort of out on television. I know that you started your sort of broadcasting career when you were mm-hmm. quite young. Were you eighteen?
1: yeah i was and 18 it was yeah a welsh
0: language show how do you say is it f- f- no file. it's not gonna file oh okay i thought it wasn't yeah. gonna be file okay
1: because it looks and like fail doesn't it
0: well no it doesn't but i thought <laughs> oh it's a double f is it going to be like a like, uh, like an L, yeah. you know like it like a or a, a, a different one a different a different noise a, diff-
1: a different pronunciation but yes. weirdly the double f in welsh is classed as one letter believe it or not Sure. Even though there are two letters in it. Of course, why not? Why not, babe? Um, um, and look, Wells, you do you. That's what I've always said about Wales. You, you know do what? you, that dragon? That dragon does what the dragon wants to do. And fair so, enough. You fair do enough, I mean, the dragon's flamboyant. It's kicking a leg out at the back. <laughs> it's going uh, 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 with the tongue. Go for it, babe. Good for
0: you, Bebs. Good for you. Did a bit
1: of firework? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, a bit of pyro after the mouth. Why not? Yeah, so file.
0: How comfortable were you in yourself then to be doing, were you a version of you?
1: Yeah. With many layers? I was like a very complicated onion, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Wales' most complicated. Oh, mm, red. Sure. you got it. I was Wales' most complicated onion in that I hadn't been on TV before. Mm -hmm. I... Applied for this job because it was during that time when I'd finished school, I dropped out of uni, I wanted to be a drummer then, you know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to try and get my grades up on the drums to maybe go ahead and study it because now I was thinking maybe this could be a career Mm -hmm. and I applied for this job that my friend's mother saw in the newspaper So the screen test was completely alien because I'd never been in front of a camera in that way before. I'd drummed in front of the camera, but Mm -hmm. I never presented really. Um, And I thought the screen test went terribly wrong because I tipped water on the set (laughs) and I, not ideal. And then they called me up and offered me the job because they wanted somebody who basically had no experience and who, I looked really young you know, as a child, mm. as a, and then as a teenager, I looked like a child. Yes. So I think they wanted somebody You look with very a
0: young of- now. I didn't realise.
1: We must be around the same, same age, but I thought you were younger. You. It must be the, it must be the backlighting, darling. It must be the backlighting. It's the
0: backlighting. It's the brooch. It's everything. She, it's, it's, the, it's just, it's just so many things. It's
1: the pussy bow, it's isn't it? It's the pussy bow.
0: It? It is the yeah, pussy bow. the
1: pussy bow is the distraction <laughs> from the wrinkle. Um, and then, yeah, so th- I was definitely a version of myself in that because I uh, knew that I couldn't come out. Actually, mm-hmm. I went back into the closet in many ways when I got that job.
0: So were you already out to your sort of family and friends by that point?
1: Yeah, I was out to a few of my friends, not yet to my family, really. Um, maybe just a few people, but, you know, not like... Not everybody knew. Not loudly. exactly, Very discreetly. Yeah. I was very discreetly out. On mute. On mute. Yes, (laughs) I was definitely on mute. So I felt that this was not a thing that I could talk about. Mm -hmm. And this was also back when we had four channels on the TV and I was presenting on one of those four channels in Wales. You know, you press four and I'd be there. Mm -hmm. So it was just not the right time for me to do it in my mind. And I remember watching a couple of years before then, Queer as Folk, Mm -hmm. when I was, I must have been about, I don't know, I must have been about 14 maybe when that came out. I don't know. But I just remember thinking about this mystical place called Manchester, you know, and seeing that there were these people living authentically and driving around in a Jeep Wrangler, and I was like, this is incredible. This is life. This is life. It happens. This is life. Exactly. But even then, when I was 18 and got this job, I still didn't feel like it was right for me to come out. So for many years then I was just really quiet about my sexuality. I did eventually come out to my family. Um, only a couple of years later. But yeah, you know, I, I was definitely not the Owen oh, that I am now on TV mm-hmm. that I, you know, back then it was a very different, it was a very different person that you would see hundred percent.
0: And was that you getting sort of a more comfortable as yourself, but being more comfortable on screen?
1: Yeah, that, that definitely. That you could sort of you know, w- were you getting to a stage where you were being sort of more yourself out of work? I think so. I think it, the the two things kind of were running parallel in that, mm. you know, obviously I had this job and I was becoming more comfortable outside of work mm. with kind of talking about myself, I suppose. And, you know, gay shame is such a big thing. Oh, mm-hmm. Tom, you know, Tom Allen has spoken about this yeah. and, and so many of us have experienced. And I think having... A, When I heard gay shame, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Because never before had I heard a, a description of it, really. Yeah. And I think that that stuck with me through those years. And it was a very weird time because I kind of wanted to be myself, but I also had this like, veneer up in front of me a thing that I'd spent a long time trying to smash down Mm -hmm. and then I think after I left that after I kind of left presenting kids tv and then got into doing the weather you know you could kind of I felt like I could be myself a bit more I guess Mm -hmm. and then I very slowly became more flamboyant I'll be honest with you Susie when I first started doing the weather I bought some awful suits oh they were dreadful. Oh, the fit was awful.
0: Just like sort of classic suit
1: from shop. Yeah. Let's go for a nice square here and let's go straight down. Yeah. Is the vibe. Like you're going to prom. Like I'm going to prom. Like I've hired a suit. Yeah. You know, for a yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those suits have long gone. And I now buy something that's a little bit more, hmm, a bit more fitted. Mm. The suits and the clothes became a part of that journey, actually, because yeah. every day, I felt like I could wear something different. And obviously I couldn't, you know, I didn't have a clothing allowance. So no. I would so I think I would buy these suits and they would almost become a little bit of an extension of the personality. And they'd become more flamboyant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first off, I'd buy more flamboyant ties, then pocket squares and brooches, and then blouses. And that's been amazing because it really has been a lovely way for me to be able to kind of express my. Self in a way, yeah. and you know, show that yeah, I, I, can, I can wear a, a frilly blouse on you know, TV if I want to, and that's fine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing that comes up quite a lot for, for us is that people try to like just sexualize our experience because our identity is is different to heterosexual people, you know, they put this, this sort of sex mm. sexuality before the person. Yeah. The thing I was thinking about you when I was leading into chatting to you today and sort of reading bits about you and watching clips of you is that, you know, that it's such a great thing to be on sort of BBC breakfast. That's going into the homes of millions of people and just to see someone and, you know, if you were talking about your sexuality, that would be great. But also you don't need to. And just being sort of visibly exactly who you are, visibly queer. Yeah. If you like that word, I like that word. Totally. You know, and and just going, this doesn't need to be taboo. This doesn't need to be shocking. This isn't about making a statement. This is just about me going, oh, hi, I'm this person. And I yeah. come into your lounge and I'm going to tell you about the weather, but I'm going to do it in my own way. I was sort of thinking like, wow, I imagine that Aline has started more conversations in family homes than he'll ever know.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And that's such a positive
0: mm. thing, isn't it? Because you're such a effervescent person on screen and everyone clearly like, you know, whenever you're working, everyone clearly loves working with you. And so that's such a, such a positive message. You know, I was thinking, you know, of, of some, you know, gay kid somewhere watching you and being like, Oh God, he seems mm. happy. Cause that's the thing for, yeah. for me. And I, I wonder uh, often, sometimes with the help of the therapist, how much my anxiety is linked to all of this. But, you know, just Mm. the lack of seeing anyone like me that was happy
1: as a teenager.
0: Like, I just think that I carried that for such a long time.
1: Yeah, I agree. And thank you. That was very kind of you to say, by the way. And I do think that you're right. My my kind of queerness is something that I've felt that I've been able to grasp and be proud of Mm -hmm more recently than ever in the past three or four years and and interesting you said about people at home watching I maybe I have thought you know what I'm going to wear this because it might kind of show that a person doing the weather doesn't have to wear xyz you know you can do this and do this job and still be good at it and a guy I was filming a one show film in Manchester. And this guy, and this has happened a few times, but this was the first time this guy ran up to me and he was probably in his like late 40s. And he said, oh, I know. And he sort of almost shouted at me. And I was almost, you know, a little bit intimidated yeah. by him. But he said, um, and it's it's really weird to talk about, but I'll say it because it's in context to what we were chatting about then. And he said that essentially he was at home with his child one day. This is Kid was like 14, 15. And he said that they'd watch me on BBC Breakfast. You know, they'd see me doing that. And his son said, oh, I am like him out of the blue. And his father was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I am like him. And I don't know how to tell you in any other way. But, you know, you you watch this person on the TV. You know what he is, what he's like. I'm like him. And he's basically coming out his father, you know, because he knew that his father watched me on tv or whatever and you know perhaps enjoyed the forecasts. yeah and and oh my god i almost cried honestly yeah i would have because oh it's just amazing and and the same with you you know there are things that that you do and you talking about and you having this podcast this is helping loads of people who might just listen to it and feel like there's companionship and makes you you feel like you're not the only person going through this so you can be successful brilliant and you know, nice essentially, and still be like us, darling. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, that's a kind thing of, of you to say. I want to talk a little bit about the dramathon before I let you go, because obviously, I mean, you raised so much money uh, for children oh. in need, and obviously, it was about after that clip had gone viral. I guess mm. to to mention that first was that a moment where, like, you were already obviously doing quite a lot for in Wales. And you, yeah. you know, you'd really, you had a real career there where you were doing lots of things. And I know you did stuff with the Welsh language as well. And, you know, across, across different channels and radio as well. But with, when that happened, was it like,
1: boom, a moment's happening? It was a moment. Yeah. And it was something that I could never have predicted. <laughs> How it, it was so interesting because, so Aaron and I left Wales to move to London he was working for the v mm-hmm. I worked for BBC as a journalist on news programmes yeah. and as a producer for a bit. I then ended up becoming like a weather supply teacher because I'd done the weather back in Wales. And it was amazing. I loved it because whenever they'd need cover, they'd kind of call me up. There were a few of us and they'd say, oh, can you go to Glasgow or can you mm-hmm. go to Leeds or, you know, Plymouth or whatever and you would go there and you would do the weather in these areas
0: what like live links to the studios
1: or actually going there
0: or actually into the studios right Yeah, okay. sure sure sure, yeah. sure sure. the different I'd actually local workplaces sure
1: yeah yeah across the different nations and regions and in doing that I got basically very very familiar with the north of England mm-hmm. which I love yeah and then we ended up moving to Leeds and then from Leeds moved over to Manchester when I got a job in Media City anyway Unnecessary detail, but basically when I did the drumming video, I was in Manchester. So I worked for Northwest Tonight at the mm-hmm. time and it was during lockdown and it was, it was April 2020. So it was at that weird time when I was terrified and anxiety yeah. through the roof, Yeah, you know, I, I was very lucky, Susie, because I was able to work mm-hmm. from home. Yeah, And I remember you know, buying, buying a green screen and trying yes. to make it work and like trying to edit it on my phone oh. and going out in the garden to do the weather forecast. Yeah, I've and seen the clips. I've seen the clips. <laughs> it was just, it was a mad time. Yeah. But I remember me and Aaron having a conversation about the BBC News music because it's a banger. It is and,
0: such a banger.
1: Oh my God. It's just like, it's a, it's such an amazing piece of music and it's been knocking about for years now Mm. and I really hope they don't change it because they can't now I think they can't surely it's perfection um so we had this conversation about doing something with the BBC News music and people in work had kind of said to me years ago like oh you should do more drumming videos you know of you like drumming to different songs so I remember then like my friends in work so I would do drum covers basically so Aaron and I were chatting and and we were like well why don't I do a a drum cover of the BBC News music so we were like, great, it's a banger. And also I was hearing, <laughs> <laughs> I was hearing that on heavy rotation because we were all watching the news. Yeah, I ended up not wanting to watch the news because uh-huh. I was hating what I was seeing yeah. and hearing. But regardless, you'd hear this music all the time. So then I had the idea of putting a weather forecast before it and, you know, the finishing the weather forecast and then the music starts yeah, yeah, and I yeah. minced over to the drums. <laughs> Honestly, Susie, I did it in two takes um not really rehearsed it just massively overplayed the drums to the music hitting everything going for it playing double speed um and then I was blown away by the response because it went viral and I remember having Twitter open on my phone and it was getting so many notifications the phone was like getting quite hot when I was trying to refresh it, you know, because the phone was like, what's hot,
0: going on? Hot stuff. That's what's happening.
1: Hot stuff, darling. <laughs> and that was, I'll be honest, that was a turning point. Mm-hmm. That changed everything in my career and in my life really as well, because people then saw me as something different I guess and you know I was wearing a suit with a brooch and a tie and you know the big old quiff looking uber flamboyant and um that's what I have wanted to do since and that's what I wanted to do with a drumathon I wanted to change the perception of who can be a drummer 100% anyone can that's exactly what
0: I got from it because Alice my wife was like have you seen this I remember we were living in our old flat in London she's like have you seen this we watched it and I was like, he's going. <laughs> <Like, laughs> I was like, you know, like, and obviously, I know that anyone can drum, but it's quite, you know, it's great seeing us lot do anything that, that, yeah, you know, that slightly not goes against, but it's just like a, hey, we do everything, a reminder.
1: Totally, uh, you know, a reminder not to put us in a little box exactly. and not to be like, oh, you like this, yeah, like all the other gay people yes. or you like this, like all the other, yeah. you know, whatever. So, and it was really nice to be able to, to do that. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, it, it just changed everything, that. It was bonkers. It's such an exciting time for you now, and I'm so thrilled for you. Oh, thank you. The thing that I mentioned earlier about you
0: going into people's living rooms and you being sort of authentically yourself, I noticed, because I've I've obviously met Aaron when we were at the LGBT Awards, and we yes. had a little... We don't know each other, but we know each other from social media. Oh, absolutely. I, oh. I watched the, the, the end again today of you sort of doing that last bit where you were getting up to the last sort of five minutes of a 24-hour drumming marathon. And, you know, Aaron runs in and gives you a cuddle. And that's just such a positive thing to put out there of like being supported by someone, being loved by someone, not being defined by what we do when the door's closed. Yeah. about love. That's all it is. It's about love. And I thought, you know, gosh, that's such a great thing to be out there in the world
1: for people to see yeah it was even you explaining that is making me feel emotional (laughs) because it was the last five minutes of the 24 hour drumathon i told them i want to start it with celine dion as the first song i want to end it with britney spears baby one more time you know which is what we did so baby one more time finishes yeah the confetti cannons go off you know all the bloody smoke and whatever and then Aaron runs over to the drum kit to me and hugs me. And yeah, it was just having him there was, it was just like a moment where I thought, gosh, this is amazing. Aaron and I were, you know, we thought about the idea of the first drumming yeah. video in the garden. And then we thought about the idea of the drumathon. I remember Aaron telling me one time in Manchester, can you imagine if you raised a million quid? And I said, Aaron, no way I'm, if I raised 250 grand, I'd be delighted, but I'm not, you know, a million quid would be amazing. And then now it's closer to 4 million. Oh my goodness. It's just been, oh, Susie, honestly, it's just been the most incredible thing.
0: And isn't that amazing that like you picked up those drumsticks because you were like, oh, this is going to somehow protect me and my differences. And then it's all those differences that have come together. And, you totally. know, and, and, and then, you know, not that it's the end of the journey, but this big peak of your journey, you're there on your drum kit with your husband.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Which, yeah. All of which have come from tiny little decisions. You know, I think the universe mm-hmm. has a lot more um, in store for us <laughs> all. And we don't, you know, we don't know what that is, but we can kind of, you know, you can help shape that. And and I think that's exactly what I did with using drums, you know, throughout my life. And it's amazing. Who would have thought that they would have brought me here to, you know, essentially help with all the stuff I'm doing. And my love of music now is taking me through with this amazing new job on Radio 2 yeah. that I can't wait to start. So it's lush.
0: That's fantastic. Now, oh, I, I know that you've listened to the show before, so you know that I always ask all of my guests the same question at the end. And and you can think about you or you can think about maybe another person out there that's that's going through a similar thing. I'm thinking of that version of you who was at, at secondary school and, and was helicoptering around, to use your words, you know, the different people are not trusting someone enough to get close enough in case they saw... In case they smelt the lavender, as you as you exactly. said, um, <laughs> if you could reach out to someone like that right now and give them a few words of encouragement, what would you say?
1: Oh, I would just absolutely say that you're fine and that you know you don't need to change. You are you, and that it's going to be all right, and that you know just keep doing what you're doing and behave in the way that's right for you. And when the time is right, you know if you want to come out, perhaps you can come out but there's no rush to do anything mm-hmm. i suppose and just to be around nice people i think
0: perfect well i've loved being around you for the last hour Owain. thank you Aww. so much for talking to me this has been
1: gorgeous susie i have loved it it's absolutely flown by thanks so much for having me on honestly
0: oh i just loved that conversation so much i love him I'm, I'm going to make him my friend. It's going to happen. We kind of are already friends, but now I'm going to, I'm really pursuing that guys. I hope you know. Thanks so much for all of you that got in touch. Please do as ever. The email is hello at com. You can always get in touch with me. I'm also on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter. I think it's hellscape, uh, but you can get in touch with me on Instagram or on the email. I've also started putting some of my stand up on TikTok, if that's your sort of thing. Maybe have a look at that. But yeah, I'll be back next week. And I mentioned before, there's a handful of shows left of the tour that have some tickets left. So if you want to come along to that, the website is suzyruffle.com and there's that new week at the Soho Theatre. So if you didn't manage to get tickets the first time around, grab them now. Okay, have a great week and I'll see you next Monday. Bye!